0: All right, so let me show you a quick picture just to bring a little bit of context from my trip. I wanna tell you about it. I also wanna look at um, uh, Matthew 28. So go, Denise, to picture titled post-baptism number one. All right, so you can see me in the back. There's me, Wilson, and then the next and only other white guy in the picture. Uh, Aaron Ross. And then directly to Aaron's left is Shren Wu. And then directly to Shren Wu's left is Romulus Majero. So um, this was the team that we sent from this church to United Arab Emirates. Romulus is actually a church planner in Zimbabwe that our church supports and uh, is helping with a partnership of other vineyards get a vineyard going in Zimbabwe and we were in his kind of neck of the woods, if you will. Basically, the United Arab Emirates is closer to um, Zimbabwe than we are. So I was like, hey, Ramius, do you wanna come join me in UAE? And he said, yeah. So we got him a flight and he came with me to Ghana in UAE and then Aaron came with me also and Shren was already in UAE, we met him there. But this is the kind of the crew um, that I was with and so much of these have happened This picture is called post-baptism number one, because there were five baptisms that happened on the trip. So it was just, it was amazing. And the even better part is that Shren, Aaron, I, Romulus didn't baptize anybody, but it was all the leaders there baptizing, and it was so cool. So I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to do this, but uh, let's just go for it, okay? So turn with me to Matthew 28. What I mean is I did not prepare a message except for during worship. (laughs) That's when I wrote down some thoughts. So turn to Matthew 28, and I wanna read verses 16 through 20 with us. Isn't Isn't this just such a beautiful picture right here? This guy, just after he gets out of the tub getting baptized former Hindu, grew up in India, didn't know the gospel. Someone else gets led to the Lord where he works, so then they lead him to the Lord, and so then they baptize him. So it's just so sweet. Okay, Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. So some doubted, what? Okay, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this is a pretty famous passage in scripture and it's called what? Who knows what this passage is called? The Great Commission. All right. So, everyone say that out loud. The Great Commission. Great Commission. Come on. Let's say it again. The Great, Commission. the Great Commission. All right. So, do you guys, how many of you guys think that the last words someone says before they leave somebody are pretty important? You know, like the last thing you tell someone before you're removed from being face to face with them for a very, very long time, you're not going to just talk about, some random event you know you're not going to give them random advice you're going to tell them something that's like very very important and so this is Jesus ending his incarnational earthly ministry you know Jesus came to earth as a man and lived on the earth as a human being and lived on the earth just like all of us did all of us are right now he was born for real born walked around, figured out what God wanted him to do, and then did his best, and he did a really good job, to execute that mission that God gave him. So Jesus had an earthly ministry. He had a ministry that he carried out as a human being on earth. Now, Jesus um, has ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit here to us to continue his earthly ministry. We are continuing the very ministry that Jesus started. So Jesus is giving his disciples here directives and kind of like the bullet points of here are the things you need to hit as you continue my ministry. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, he's, so if we're gonna just, bottom line, what Jesus is telling them to do here is this. Make disciples. Make disciples. This is the way that Jesus says, I want you to continue my ministry. Make disciples who obey me. And not only make disciples, not only make disciples but do what I did. That, that's what Jesus was doing on earth. I, one of the main purposes of everything Jesus did was to model for others what they should do. So he modeled healing the sick. He healed the sick. I want to approach to you not just to heal the sick, but to model for us what we're supposed to do. So that we would take that mentality on of as I go heal the sick, as I go share the gospels, I go love people, I'm actually modeling for others what it looks like to be a disciple. You know, I don't think this is a way that we normally would think, but one way to put it is this, even Jesus was a disciple. What did Jesus say? I only do what I see the Father doing. I do his work. So Jesus came in submission to the Father to accomplish the Father's work on earth. So he was even following somebody. So as we walk this out, um, we are fo- we're following Jesus, a definition I heard recently that I really like of discipleship is this What it means to be a disciple is to listen, obey, and share. Everyone say, listen, obey, and share. Listen, obey, share. I, love how, I love how simple this makes following Jesus. Our task, our daily life, is about having personal intimacy, listening, having connection to God, listening to Him. And then, whatever he's telling us to do, whatever we read in his word, whatever the directives are, we obey that. And then to share that with others. So, let's look back in this passage again. Something I, I love here in verse 17: when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. How many of you guys are encouraged by that? <laughs> some doubted. These are the people Jesus is raising up, he's entrusting these 11 guys. In other accounts, it says there's more people there um, to go across the entire world, spreading the good news that the kingdom is here, that we can have a relationship with God, that we can be empowered. And some of them were doubting that as he commissioned them. Now, I want to take note of what Jesus doesn't do here. He doesn't rebuke them for their doubting. He doesn't rebuke them for their doubting. When Thomas doubted, what what happened next? Thomas was one of the uh, disciples of Jesus, who said, I won't believe Jesus raised from the dead unless you show me the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. What did Jesus do next? Revealed himself to Thomas. As Thomas was in a place of doubting, Jesus drew close to him, Jesus came to him. Parenthetical rabbit trail I want to take. We are in a shift in our society right now. Of we're shifting to a postmodern um, worldview. And in a postmodern worldview, what's rampant is doubt and questioning. What is truth? Is there truth? Can we know things objectively? And the what that does is that offends the flesh. Doubt offends your humanity because you love God and you're confident in him. And when someone else doubts, that makes you maybe feel a little uncertain. Like, well, how can you doubt? What does that mean for me? But what, when we, if we get offended by other people's doubting, we're actually moving out of the place where God wants to use us to minister to that person who's doubting. Doubt actually, draw, actually marks people for encounter with God, I believe. Doubt doesn't push God away. Doubt focuses God. God's like, oh, that person's doubting. Okay, I'm gonna prioritize them on my list of encounters. And then he's looking for the people who aren't offended with doubters to go and love them, listen to them, and reach out to them. So like, this is so key for us in the day that we live in with who has a family member who is maybe, or, or who knows someone close to them who's questioning their faith, who's talked to someone recently like that. Like, this is all over. And one of the most helpful things we can do when someone is suffering doubt or going through questions, or maybe you're in this room and you have doubts. Like, that's totally legitimate. I've had doubts. The thing that people need when they're doubting is someone to listen to them, not to offer them answers. Does Jesus offer them answers here and say, what the heck, Like, how can you doubt? I'm literally levitating right now. You're doubting me as I'm levitating above the ground, being raised up into the sky. So like, Jesus doesn't rebuke them for that. He just commissions them. He believes in them still. Okay, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. That's a kind of weird statement, right? Who would have thought that Jesus already had all authority? (laughs) Right? Like, doesn't the Son of God have all authority? Here's the thing. Adam and Eve, they were given authority God gave Adam and Eve authority to um, rule the earth, subdue, have dominion over the earth, and they actually gave that authority over to Satan. So when Jesus comes to earth and Satan tempts Jesus, what's one of the temptations he offers to Jesus? If you bow to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. That kind of sounds like Satan had authority. (laughs) Satan was the one um, that was ruling things and in charge of things. Well, when Jesus dies and resurrects, he actually took that authority back. He defeated death and he gets authority back. And so now Jesus actually has, God is um, the one that has authority. I know this just sounds crazy. Some of you guys are just probably gonna hate me for this, but the amount of influence we think the devil has over the earth will greatly impact how how we walk out our faith. And I just wanna to propose to you that the devil doesn't have authority over the earth anymore. He has power and influence. But Jesus took authority back and then he delegates authority to us to go and make disciples of all nations. So this is our, this is our charge: is to um, continue Jesus's ministry. Jesus's ministry was to redeem what was lost in the garden by Adam and Eve. And he put a stake in the ground with the cross and the resurrection. And now we live from that victory and we continue to take back what Adam and Eve lost. So, last just quick observation about this passage before I start telling you stories. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. What this does, this is a very, powerful, important thing Jesus did when he told them to teach them all that I have commanded them. What this did was eliminate power dynamics. Jesus told his 11 to go and teach everyone else everything they had learned. So what Jesus envisions is a fully empowered church, fully empowered believers. Not some believers who follow the things of Jesus to a 10, but most of all only to a 6, but that all believers would be able to do everything Jesus did, would be able to walk in his ministry. This doesn't mean that we don't have specific callings and giftings, and we're more strong in some than others, but Jesus is saying, look, there's a flat power dynamic in the kingdom of God. It's not some people have power over other people, and they're the superstars, but I want you to actually teach others everything I commanded you. Then I want them, yes, to teach them everything that they were taught also. Do you guys understand and see how that's a little bit head-turning? Like usually, we ha- I just think I have this mentality so often of it's a little bit of like a downgrade from each level of the mentor, <laughs> you know? And then you maybe hit one superstar in there, but then it kind of downgrades from there. But God's vision is that all of us would be making disciples. All of us would be coming along, coming alongside people and training them and teaching them how to listen, obey, and share. So, um, Denise, will you go to the picture called Harun, Shren, and Shabaz? It's three guys sitting at a table. Yeah, there you go. Okay. So there's just a little message I pulled out for you guys on Matthew 28. Let me tell you about the trip. Um, So Shren, the guy in the middle, him and I met in 2010. He grew up in China, uh, had never heard the gospel until 2009, gave his life to Jesus, and then found out about a mission school in Jacksonville, Florida, and lied to his family, lied to his government, and, uh, and told them he was just going to some kind of like Um, cultural education thing in the United States, got a visa and moved to Jacksonville, Florida without a Bible. The first Bible Shren ever got, he stole out of a hotel room in New York City. (laughs) Okay? And he uh, comes and and him and I meet in Jacksonville, Florida in a thing called Youth with a Mission. It's a missions training school. And we were doing a... uh, a mission school together called a DTS, Discipleship Training School. All that acronyms are so terrible. YWAM, DTS. But just try and keep up. Um, and so Shren and I meet there, and Shren gets discipled, is running after the Lord, hits a couple hard years, moves back to China, has a whole period of time where he's not following the Lord, gets reignited for the Lord, and marries someone from our church, Maria, formerly Hunter. So if you were here two weeks ago, Maria's dad preached, Jim Hunter. So uh, Shren and Maria and I all did YWAM together in 2010. And uh, then Maria and Shren got married in like 2016, I think. And they have since then been working for that missions organization, YWAM. So this, earlier this spring, Maria and Shren, are you guys with me? I know I just did so many names and details, okay? But earlier this spring, Maria and Shren uh, Shren's the guy in the middle. They took a team to the United Arab Emirates, a team of seven or, I can't remember how many students from a, from a DTS school to the United Arab Emirates for two months to share the gospel and try and plant churches. And so they're there for two months and about a, a couple weeks in, they were doing a prayer walk. So Shren has this like methodology of um, doing ministry that he calls it's called the four fields where the first step is just a prayer walk and uh, and to share the gospel lunch and just sow tons of seeds so they're uh, prayer walking in this neighborhood of the United Arab Emirates little context about UAE it's a country of ten million people and only three million of them are indigenous to United Arab Emirates seven million of them are Pakistani Indian Egyptian, Filipino, just ba- workers that have been brought in from all over the world to build up United Arab Emirates. You know, it used to just be a desert and now it's a thriving, crazy country, major tourist attraction. Burj Khalifa, you know, Mission Impossible. Um, and so there's all of these Indians, Pakistanis, Filipinos, Egyptians. Some of them are there um, and they're kind of like, taking advantage of the emerging economy and the emerging nation and they're like established business people. And then there's a whole nother group of a worker class that in some respects are kind of a little bit more like slaves. Like many of them, they, they get brought there to work and immediately their passports are taken from them. And they just work until whatever, you know, it's just a kind of hard situation. And so um, Shren was doing a prayer walk and he met this guy who introduced him to Harun, who's on the left, and Shabazz on the right. Um, Shabazz is in the green shirt and Haroon is in the black shirt. So Haroon's 27, Shabaz is like 50, and they're like a uncle-nephew duo apostolic evangelists that are just baptizing everyone, leading everyone to the Lord. They're both Pakistani. And um, there's this like small little, like maybe revival, honestly, starting there. So Shren meets them and uh, just the Lord kind of connects them and they invite him to, to preach at their church on, uh, um, on, on Friday because that's when they have church. And so go to uh, the picture called where everyone's sitting in the field, Denise, church slash safe zone. So Shren shows up and this is their church, <laughs> Okay. And they would just do a kind of, this This isn't a picture of actually when Shren went, but this is like the type of lawn setting where the church meets. And they would do like, you know, a kind of traditional teaching and just kind of the type of thing we do. And Shren just said, hey, no, why don't we actually doing a lot of tr- start doing a lot of trainings and discipleship modules? And so he led for one week and they so loved what he did that they asked him, will you just lead our church for the two months you're here? And so Harun and Shabazz handed over leadership of the church for the two, 2 months. trend was there. And um, I, I got to come and visit them at the end of March. And by the time I got there, I was sitting in a group with two people who had, only, who had been believers, one for a month and one for a week. And the one who'd been a believer for a month had baptized and led to the Lord, the guy who'd been a believer for a week because it was his roommate. One was a formerly Sikh, one was formerly Hindu. Wow. So, um, you can go back to the, the last picture we're on now. So Harun and Shabazz asked Shren to lead things, and there's just all this powerful stuff happening. And so now, six months later, they asked Shren to come back and to visit them, and to do more trainings with them, and to continue to teach them everything he had been doing. So it was like, totally just right out of the book of Acts. You know, Paul plants a church here, then he comes back and visits it a little while later, you know, uh, except this time we were flying instead of walking, Um, and so the whole time that we are planning this trip, Shren has no idea where he's going to stay, but towards the very end, and we have no idea where we're going to stay either, Harun and Shabaz are just honestly very financially poor, Harun works seven days a week as a delivery man for a catering company. And uh, these guys just pour everything, all their money, everything they have into the church. So they meet a guy, they get connected with a guy who I'm just gonna call Brother A, okay? So go back to picture post-baptism number one, please, Denise. Okay, so Brother A is the guy with his face blacked out. Brother A has been a believer for two years, He's a Pakistani, formerly Muslim. Everyone in his family is still a Muslim. Um, and his family is actually shares, the, shares a bloodline with the prophet Muhammad. So they're like very highly regarded, very up high in the whole status of Islam. Um, and he just is hilarious. His name's Brother A. And... <laughs> 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 um, So he gets led to the Lord out of just discontent with Islam and has some friends that lead him to the Lord. And he is a super successful businessman. He owns two businesses, one in Lisbon, Portugal, one in the United Arab Emirates, um, over 100 employees, a telecom business. And he's pretty wealthy. And so he actually gets connected with Harun and Shabazz and he begins to finance and fund their church. So it's so sweet. Um, And when we first, when Shren first gets there, oh, oh, so then he also agrees to host us. So we stay in his apartment. And when he first gets there, Shren's talking to him and everything. And he's saying how much, okay, actually, let let me pause that part of the story. So Aaron and I, are praying and meeting, getting ready for the trip here in my office. And Aaron just says, man, I just really, as I was praying about the trip, I really felt like baptisms were are gonna happen. I just keep on getting this impression that baptisms are gonna happen. And I'm like, okay, like sweet, let's just remember that and we'll see what happens. So one of the first conversations that Shren has with Brother A when he gets there is about baptism. And Brother A says, I really wanna get baptized, but my pastors here in UAE won't baptize me because you get, and his, his pastors, he doesn't consider, at that point, Harun and Shabazz as pastors. Those guys um, aren't the people he's talking about. He says, they won't baptize me because you get 20 years in jail or the death sentence for baptizing a former Muslim. And so Shren just said, well, we're not scared to baptize you. We'll baptize you. And uh, so Shren convinces Shabaz, the guy with his hand up in the white, um, that we need to obey Jesus over man and baptize uh Brother A. So let's get the picture up of his baptism. It's called Brother A's baptism, Denise. Yeah. Boom. So this is like the second day we're there, he gets baptized. And Aaron and I are just freaking out like, oh my gosh, God actually spoke to us about the trip. <laughs> so that's kind of like one thread of the story, one thread of what's happening. I'm gonna pause that for a second. Let's jump back to Harun and Shabaz. Go to the picture called church slash safe zone number one, Denise. So the first night we get there, um, Shren's already been there for about a week at this point, and he started as soon as he got there, he started a week, uh, nightly um, like discipleship meeting with Harun and Shabazz's church, these like 60, 70 guys that they've gathered together. And every night, 20 to 30 of them would show up and it was 110 degrees during the day and 100 degrees at night. And so the first night I was there, we all gather in this huge, weird warehouse place, put a bunch of cardboard boxes on the ground and crowd together and uh, just start teaching them, just like anything, you know? Start teaching about the confession of sin because they're just so hungry and they don't know a lot. Start teaching them how to pray for the sick. And at the end of the night, one of the guys in the group is kind of emerging leader Robert and I, pray, I coached Robert on how to pray for healing and this man who had pain in his side of here gets instantly healed through Robert praying for him. We see him a, a couple of days later and he hasn't taken his medicine since then. All the pain is totally gone. So that, that's the first um, place we met. Now go to church uh, safe zone number two. Okay, so this is the field. So then the first night we got to meet in that concrete dungeon, and then every other night we went and met on this lawn. And sometimes if there were so many people there, we would split into smaller groups like this because they didn't want to attract attention from the government. If there's a huge group meeting, they're going to wonder, like, what's going on? So every night, just imagine this. Look at us in here right now. How comfortable are you? <laughs> you, are, you put on fresh clothes, right? I did. These are, the, these are not clothes I wore yesterday. That's a really great seat. There's AC in here. This is church for these guys. This picture, this is their church. <laughs> and they gathered every single night. And every single night, they brought a new unbeliever to the gathering. Every single night, there was a new Hindu or Muslim who, like, we'd be doing Bible study and we'd call on him and he'd be like, What? I don't even know what's happening. And he'd be like, Oh, this is a ramen, you know, he's new, he doesn't know Jesus, like, he's, this is his first time tonight. And I was like, yes! <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what the church is supposed to be like. There's always supposed to be an unbeliever in the room that's seeking and hungry and wondering that one of us brought. And so, just every night, you guys, I sat down on here, my legs itchy, I'm sweating and just chugging water, and I'm just thinking like, man, this is, there's something happening here that God wants to do back home in my church too. This isn't just like, the hungry people aren't just in the poor areas. Yeah. The hungry people are everywhere, and um, there's something so, so sobering for me about this experience. Okay, so every night we're gathering with these guys and um, reading the Bible, praying, doing little trainings with them, having the leaders there do the trainings and kind of giving them feedback afterwards. Because our goal really was more so to train and give feedback than it was for us to personally lead. Because we're not gonna stay there. And we're not, we don't want them to think, oh, we're the great white guys or whatever that are awesome. Like that's kind of the mentality. No, like we wanna make sure that they get trained, they get equipped, that they're gonna continue, they're gonna continue running with it. And they already are, but they're just lacking some simple tools for how to train people in discipleship. So that's where we came in. So we have the Safe Zone crew. This is all of those immigrant workers that are super poor, that Harun and Shabaz have led to the Lord and are gathering as a church. And then we have Brother A and his whole network. So Brother A, um, every night, so he's like, he's the CEO of his company. He's the owner. He has a, he has a co-owner. But he has all these workers that are always gathering to him, like his sales manager and business manager, all of them are always over at the house. And every night we would just like spontaneously do Bible studies with them. But like, hey, do you guys wanna read a story about Jesus? And like some of these guys had never even seen a Bible before. So they're like, what? Yes, of course we want to. Like, I've heard about that, but I've never, I've never read about Jesus. So um, go to the picture called Umesh, Denise. Um, the one where he's sitting and he has a tattoo on his arm. Yeah, okay, here. So I wanna tell you Umesh's story really quick. So Umesh has been living in UAE for seven years. Um, His mom died when he was seven. He was raised in India as a Hindu. And he's come to a real point of just questioning in life. And so one of the nights we are sitting there, and we say, hey, do you wanna read a story about Jesus forgiving a prostitute? And he's like, what? Yeah, that sounds awesome. So we jump into Luke 8, and we read this, one of the stories about the sinful woman being forgiven, and we're just asking these really open-ended questions. We're doing a Bible study revolving around four questions. What do we like about the passage? What do we dislike about the passage? What do we learn about God? And what do we learn about man? And um, Umesh is just having all of these incredible insights into the passage just like saying the most profound things. Because he has no Christian filter. He's never been taught anything. He's just reading the Bible exactly for what it is, seeing Jesus for exactly who he was, you know. And then he, he starts to like take the conversation deeper. He starts to ask us, um, well, why did Jesus even come to earth? Why did Jesus have to die? And I'm just sitting there like, I cannot believe you're asking these questions. So we go back to the bedroom where it's more private and Aaron and Shren and I just sit with them for an hour answering question after question after question and he's so intelligent and so insightful in all his questions. And then he says, well, I just wanna know, can you feel God? Like, like can you actually experience him? Is he just something we have to learn about or can we feel him? And we're like, we are so glad you asked that because we actually love to feel God, you know? So we just, we just gather around him, lay hands on him, and pray for him to experience the Holy Spirit. And this is the picture immediately after that. And he's just sharing. And, and he said, as you guys started to pray, I felt like everyone left the room, except there was still someone else in the room with me. And then he just said, and I just felt total peace. Like, all the questions I was asking you guys, I couldn't remember any of the questions. It was like all the questions left my mind. And I just felt this overwhelming peace. Like, I've never felt anything. He's tearing up. I've never felt anything like this before. What was it? Da, 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 da. We're just like, it's Jesus, bro. Um, <laughs> but we're really trying to honor, like, his process of what's happening in his life, you know, and not just be like, all right, now confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and repent for your sins, you know, like, we knew that that's not, there's something that God's actually moving here, you know? And so we just said, all right, bro, like, let's just pray. And right now it's about 3 a.m. at this point. So we just said, can we just pray for you that you'll have dreams of Jesus tonight and that you'll dream about God? And he's like, sure. So we all the hands on him, pray for him, um, go to bed. It takes me like an hour to fall asleep. I'm just laying there like, what just happened? And I fall asleep at like 6 a.m., get up at like 2 p.m., and I come out into the living room, and guess who's sitting in the living room waiting for us? Umesh. (laughs) He's back, and he says, you guys, I had a dream last night. (laughs) And he begins to describe the dream to us, and he just says, in my dream, it was total darkness. And then a hand reached out to me, and when the hand reached out to me, he said, take my hand, come to me. And as soon as he reached out, everything turned to bright light in the dream. And the whole time, he was speaking in my native language. He was speaking in Hindi, the language I speak, not in English or whatever. And we're just like, bro, like, (laughs) um, and we flip the first John and we say, look, God uh, is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is God drawing you to himself. And We just said, you know, we're gonna baptize a couple more brothers tonight, a couple more guys who have given their life to Jesus. And he's like, yeah, I was Googling baptism last night after I went home. (laughs) What is it? Tell me about it. What is it? So go to that next picture, uh, Denise, Umesh baptism. So now, this is Friday afternoon, two days later, and Brother A, who is risking his life, um, to baptize someone, he has just been baptized two days before. Is now baptizing his employee that he had been witnessing to relentlessly and bringing around his house. <laughs> so it was just like incredible. And this is what I'm. This is what I'm. I'm saying with the whole power dynamic thing. Um, teach him to observe all that I have commanded to you. All of us are supposed to be baptizing people. All of us are are. And supposed to, makes it sound a little guiltier, but it's like baptizing people and discipling people is on the table for all of us. That's available for all of us. Just to get some simple tools in our book, begin spiritual conversations with unbelievers, and then there's not, we don't need to do say the sinner's prayer. We just let them make the choice. We just present obeying Jesus to them, and they decide that that's what they wanna be about. So it really inspired me. Here's the last picture I wanna show you because it's hilarious. Aaron getting caked. So after the baptisms, they had this cake that said new life on it. And we're all like just having fun and everything. All of a sudden, they start running at us with knives of cake. (laughs) And so this is Aaron getting fed cake. Do you guys want to stand up? I want to pray for you. I just really feel like there's something for our church. I know there's something for our church. There's an invitation with discipleship and with um, multiplying and taking a simple approach to introducing people to how to follow Jesus. Not over teaching, but giving plenty of invitation on what it looks like to obey Jesus. Other than letting people, as they begin to obey Jesus, they just realize, oh my gosh, I guess I really believe all this. I'm a follower, you know. <laughs> Rather than say this prayer and then we'll really try hard to get you to start obeying him. Yeah. What if people just started obeying him and then they realized, oh my gosh, I believe it? Like, that'd be unstoppable. So, Lord, Uh, We just say yes to being a disciple, to being disciple makers. Um, Thank you for the fruit. Thank you for what what you're doing in UAE. We pray that you bless it. And I I just pray a release of what's happening there here to Cincinnati, here to all the churches in our area um, and to our entire city that, um, just like Bob Jones prophesied, that Cincinnati would be a reproductive center that we would be a place that reproduces leaders and reproduces disciples and comes up with models to reproduce. So we just say yes, God, to being disciple makers. In Jesus' name, amen.